Good morning, Colonial Woods. How are we doing this morning? Oh, man, I just went back to bed. Help me out. How you doing this morning? Good. Okay, there you go. You know what? You're good. Even if you're lying when you do it, that's good. But we're glad you're here this morning. Glad you're online as well. And if you have your Bibles with you, take them and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, we're going to go into Genesis 2 as we pick up where we left off last week in the beginning kind of a, I guess it's not an original title for a series, but we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1 through 8 and giving an overview there. And I got to tell you, I do this all the time. Uh, my staff probably just groans when I say it, but as soon as I started the series, literally one week of study, and I feel like, oh, I don't have enough time to do everything I want to do. And God's Word is so rich, and when you start to focus in on it, there's just so much you could study. So we're going to do our best to, uh, to give it a just treatment, but just know we could come back and spend a little bit more time in all of these areas. I don't know how many of you watch the, the, uh, the do-it-yourself channels. You watch some of the home improvement things like, uh, what's the one? Is it Fixer Upper? Is that, is that Chip and Joanna Gaines? Is that the one? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, some of you watch those shows. I watch them more on vacation. Brittany likes them. I have a little bit more time. We tend to watch two or three in a row. But I like the Gaines family, by the way, because I know they're Christians. I actually know the, the group that they're associated with down there. I know some of the values that they have. And so I really enjoy watching them. But I am always so impressed. And if you're one of these people, you impress me. I am completely impressed with creative people. People who can just look at something, whether they're artists, whether they're people who can look at a space and design it, architects. I mean, I'm blown away. Tammy and I are not that way. Usually one or the other is kind of kind of a designer type, not, not in our family, man. I mean, I'm, I'm probably a little stronger at it than Tammy, and I'm not good. I mean, we just always are looking for help to know how to set rooms up and stuff. She goes into a house, chips this way too, but they go into a house and they, they say, oh man, this has got great bones. And immediately they have all these ideas and they can see the backsplashes and they can see the colors. And I just, my mind does not think that way. About nine years ago, kind of as a surprise to Tammy for our 25th anniversary, we, I, I, we were redoing the house and buying some. I, I got a hold of Trish Swenson at our church and said, Trish, can you come over? Can you just buy everything? Buy everything, tell me where to put it. I'll be the hammer and the nail guy and you just tell me where to do it and it was kind of a surprise to Tammy she just has a mind that is able to see and create and I just love it now what I love about it is that God is the master designer and creator he doesn't even have architectural books he doesn't even know the 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 fact he doesn't know what's uh, like really you know mid-century is really hot right now he, he could say mid-millennial is hot right now and he doesn't have any books to tell him that he doesn't have a Sherman Williams color palette he created the color palette and we talked about last week how God the creator 
is the God who is able to create something from nothing, the possibility from that which is impossible. He, he didn't just simply create the la- or from Legos. He created the Legos and the proteins and everything that put us together. And so he is the incredible creator. Now today I want to take you into verse 26 on as in this first chapter as we talk about humanity and how God designed us. And just as God is the God who creates Just as God is the God who is available and just as God is the God who, when he speaks, unimaginable power is released, we continue to see it in the way that God designed us wonderfully and creatively in humanity. Here's what it says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, uh, said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant in the face of the whole earth. Every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts on the earth and all the birds in the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that what he had made, and it was all very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, chapter 2 is a continuation, in fact, an amplification. If chapter 1, verse 26 through the end of the chapter, I call it the cliff notes on the creation of humanity. It's kind of the synopsis as God creates uh, not just Adam, but also Eve as he creates male and female and kind of gives an outline of humanity. Then you get into chapter 2 and you start to see an amplification. So it's not a, it's not a second creation story. It's an amplification, a close-up on the cliff notes as you get into chapter 2. Now, what's interesting when you begin to look at how God creates and what God created, what I said kind of as the outline today is that God beautifully designed and wonderfully created because he didn't just beautifully design, but he also created. He didn't just come up with the ideas, but he actually was able to put it into motion. And the first thing that I notice in this passage, and it's where we're going to spend probably most of our time today, is that God beautifully designed and created humanity uniquely. Humanity is a very unique creation. Now, some of you are here this morning, you're unique too. <laughs> you're really unique. In fact, you might be just on the strange side. But, but all of us are wonderfully and beautifully created in the image of God. In fact, it's image, interesting what he says here. He says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. The, the Latin phrase for this is, um, is imago Dei, in the image of God. Day being deity, in the image of deity, God created us. And by the way, he uses a couple of different words in that you'll notice there's a word for man, it's the word Adam or Ha-Adam, Adam. 
But you'll notice that you see Adam used to talk about all of humanity, and then later Adam actually becomes a specific name of first human, first man, Adam. You see that throughout the Hebrew language. Eve, you get her name a little bit later. Adam comes from the earth, Adama. It is the Hebrew word for from the earth or from the dust. So Adam, that's where he gets his name. Eve, chapter three, you see her name revealed and you see that she means living or living creature, living creation. She's the mother of all living creation and that's where her name comes from as well. But we're so uniquely made. We're so individually made, and it's a beautiful picture when you start to see us, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, how are we made in the image of God? Well, there's actually, I probably could go all day just on this, but let's just pick four ways that we are created in the image of God. First of all, we are morally created in the image of God, meaning that when humanity was created, there was no inclination towards sin. There was no sinful behavior. The word sin, one of the words in Scripture that means uh, sin, is the word hamartia. It means to miss the target or miss the mark. And so when we miss the mark, God's mark, that's sin. There's other words for sin as well. There was no sense of that. There was never a disobedience. It was never missing. There was, in fact, there was no failure. There was, there was a perfection there, but there wasn't even the inclination of that. It's not just, see, sin, sin is not just what a person does. It's what's in us. It's, it's that bent that wants to be in control and pushing away from God. And So it wasn't even that they didn't throw temper tantrums. There wasn't even that inclination to throw a temper tantrum. And individuals, when I say that, can you imagine what it would be like to live with just no, just no knowledge of wrong, no knowledge of sin, nothing that is disobedient to God? And immediately there'll be some people say, man, that'd be boring. I hear people say that all the time. Oh, man, that would be boring. What a boring life. And you know what? That actually is buying into the lie of the enemy. Because that's exactly what Satan said to Eve in chapter 3 when he said, you know what? God's just withholding something from you. God's just holding back from you. So, so if you're sitting here and go, oh man, it would be totally boring not to know what good or evil or not to know sin and not to, you're buying into the lie. See, there's something incredible about having such a relationship with God that there's absolutely nothing that's a barrier between us and him. They were morally created in God's image. But not just that, we see that emotionally we're created in God's image. And when I use that phrase, that probably for some people is confusing because you think, wait a minute, how are we made? More than being modeled after God emotionally, one individual said it this way, we really reflect the emotion of God. For example, even though God is spirit, Jesus said, and we have to worship him in spirit and in truth, we also understand that God is a God of love. There's an emotion there, action and emotion. God can be angered. God can be jealous. By the way, his jealousy is always appropriate. God can be grieved. God actually has emotions. So a lot of times when people are struggling with their emotions, they say, man, this is, uh, this is wrong. I shouldn't have these emotions. Actually, emotions are really normal. Emotionalism, emotions out of control. That's the sin bent. 
And so our emotions can get the better of us and turn into anxiety and worry and it can turn into hatred and it can become a rage that is out of control and anger that has a hold of us. But understand, that's not, we're not broken because we have emotion. The brokenness is it's the emotion tainted by sin has gotten out of control and tends to have an ownership of us. We're created like God. We can love like God. We can have joy just like God. And we were created politically in God's image. And this is usually where I make, you know, a joke. So God isn't Republican and God isn't Democrat. He's an independent, you know, that kind of a thing. But, but when we say we're made politically in God's image, what it means is that God gave us dominion. Now, this is important to understand because there, there's a push that somehow humanity is an intrusion on the earth and actually humanity is God's highest creation according to the word of God. In fact, you'll notice it says, let them not only have children, but it says, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and let and over all the creatures that move along the ground, God designed humanity to have authority over the earth. Now that doesn't give us permission to abuse the earth, but understand there is nothing wrong at all to have a healthy view of the environment. But when we begin to worship the environment as one, what was a Jewish scholar said it this way, humanity is sacred, creation is not but we still have responsibility as those who are stewards. That means God has entrusted to us this position of appropriately utilizing the world that God has given to us. God created us in his image politically. We actually have some authority. But the one that really strikes me is that we are spiritually made in God's image. It means we have the capacity to worship him, to commune with him. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but in John chapter four, Jesus says, God is spirit, therefore his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. But I want you to see a passage that comes out of Genesis chapter two. This is the account, verse four, of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Go down to verse seven. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. If you've never underlined that passage before, this is a good time to underline it. It's a, it is a distinguishing passage on the importance and the place of humanity. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now it's interesting because that can also be translated the soul of life. God breathed into him the soul of life. Now here is where you begin to see the incredible description and the uniqueness of humanity unlike any other creation, unlike any other animal, biological, yes, but spiritual, absolutely. 
And God designed you and I in such a way as to be able to commune with him. Interesting, Scripture talks about three parts of humanity. Uh, Hebrews is the one that kind of defines this and kind of gives us. We have our body, right? We have our flesh. We have our soul and spirit. And the only reason we can really divide that is because Hebrews chapter 4 says that the Word of God is able to divide between soul and flesh, or uh, between um, uh, joint and marrow, and between soul and spirit. But let's just for the sake of ease of communication today say that when God breathed into humanity, He breathed into us soul the eternal spirit, the ability not just to live forever, not just, to, not just the ability to live in eternity, but God created in us this ability to be able to commune with him and communicate with him and worship him. He designed us for this. And, and while every creation brings glory to God, we are unique among all of creation in how we do it. Now why, Professor Phil, is this important? Well, the reason this is important is because you are incredibly valuable. You have tremendous worth because of how God designed and created you. Look at a neighbor sitting next to you and just simply say to them, you have tremendous value. Say that with them, would you? You have tremendous value. I caught somebody's eye on that one. That was good. I love it. Understand. Now, it's interesting because if you just take the basic biology, maybe that doesn't mean as much. It used to be years ago um, when they would take the human body, if you took the human body and the chemistry and all the chemicals and you, you kind of broke it down, I think they said we were worth like $11.29 or something like that. Inflation being what it is. Um, it, it, right now, we're worth about $580 or so in chemicals. I'm worth a little more because I'm bigger than a lot of you. I'm, wor I'm worth like 610, okay? 2008, when insurance companies were trying to decide what you were worth, you were worth around $50,000. That got elevated to around $129,000, which means that when you're making decisions as to whether or not you will take extreme measures to save a person's life, if it costs more than $129,000 to extend their life for a year, if it goes over that, it's not considered warranted. That's according to insurance companies. According to a U of M economist, and she wasn't placing the value. She was simply identifying what the government has placed as the value. I want to make sure I say this right. Interestingly, she says that the human life is worth something like $10 million over the course of a lifetime. And the reason that she said that is that when the government is having new regulations regarding business, safety, and those types of things, they use that figure to determine whether or not they will, if it, if it costs billions of dollars to enact a new safety design, they, they figure out how many people, how many lives will be saved like that, and if it comes out to more than 10 million per person, they will reject that. They, they won't go through with that safety measure. And 
And I would dare say there are probably some here that feel like you're somewhere on that scale. And yet if you have a loved one or a child or someone that you're trying to, you you understand as well as I do, there is no cost that is too high because there is no value that is high enough to describe the value of that person in your life. Do you want to know how valuable you are to God? Psalm 8. What are mere mortals that you, God, should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under your authority. In the order of creation, God has God and he actually places us. Now, I know Hebrews, there's a, there's a passage that seems to refute this. don't have time to get into the reasoning for it. But we see in the order of creation, there's God, humanity, and all of other creation. And the reason I share this is that I don't care what other people have made you feel like. And I don't care what you've done to fail because your value isn't even determined by the fact Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. Even if you don't acknowledge God, you don't believe in God, you don't even have to love God, it doesn't matter, he still loves you. Now it's important to me that you love God, but as far as your value goes, you're still worth just as much because he loves you and created you. You have value just because you are. And whether you have honored him or dishonored him or done well in life or struggled in life, I wish I could have, I mean, I, I wish, I, I love all of you sitting here, but I wish I could have every fifth grader through 11th grader and just sit with them and just talk to them about their incredible value. And so why is unborn life important? Well, if you don't acknowledge God and you simply put a convenience or inconvenience value on life, then then you wouldn't have value. But because unborn life is life and aged life is life, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, your value is immeasurable. So you may not feel like you're worth all that much, but you're worth so much more than you could ever imagine. And not only are you valuable, but you're actually lovable. And you may not feel like anybody loves you, but it's interesting, and I gave you all kinds of verses in your note sheet, so if you, if you aren't following on your note sheet, get on the app or wherever it is and just get the verses because, because in John chapter, in John chapter uh, 17, Jesus says that God, Father, loves you all and me as much as he loves Jesus himself. So God loves us even as much as he loves his own son. And then Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, I love you. And so Jesus loves you that much. And then John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. How many of you live in the world? Just raise your hand real quick. But if if you don't, I'd like to know where you live. What's your address, right? How many live in the world? Just say like this, okay? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it doesn't even predicate it upon the fact that you love him because it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, we didn't even acknowledge he existed. We didn't even know we needed him. He still loved us. You have incredible value. You are incredibly designed. You are incredibly beautifully created in the image of God. Sure, sin taints it, but you have value and you are loved. The second thing I see in this passage is that God beautifully designed and created gender and he did it on purpose. Notice when he's giving the cliff notes of creation, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now there's been this, this kind of this fallacy in the church world in history that somehow only male reflects God's glory. And I'm going to blow your mind today. God created mankind, men in his image, but he created women in his image too. And that's not new age thinking. That's not even politically correct. That is literally what scripture says. Now, it is true that in scripture, God has revealed himself in the masculine. You can't get away from that. Every pronoun is he. Every time there's a, 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 a gender specific word that is used for God, Yahweh itself, his name is a masculine. You can't get away from God's masculinity. Jesus refers to him as heavenly father, Abba, father. There is a picture. God is designed even in the structure of family that the fathers take the role of God the father. So there's this beautiful picture there. But understand, that doesn't mean that the female doesn't reflect his glory as well. Now, we, we can see the scripture attributes of God in the male, right? We, and by the way, I, I'm gonna apologize in advance if you're upset because I somehow assigned as the quality that we most often see in one of the genders and you're frustrated because both genders can show it. Sorry, get over it, okay? I'm gonna equally offend you today. It's just, I'm just gonna show you what we normally, but I wanna, I wanna explain it at the end, so just hang with me. Normally when you see strength or power or you see discipline, or you see leadership or protection or provision, we think of the, the male attributes. And we see that all through scripture. In fact, in fact, scripture says in Hosea 2, it describes God as a husband, right? And that Israel, Israel, his believers, he is the husband, we are the bride, that kind of that imagery. And what we normally assign as more female qualities, and I say normally, right? It's gentleness kindness, compassion, love. By the way, my mom knew how to discipline, all right? Lots of twigs broken off the trees to prove it, right? She, she knew how to discipline, so both sides showed this, but, but normally we think of that love, nurturing, protection, 
tenderness. Interesting what scripture does because some are getting nervous right now. But understand what scripture says. It says that God comforts his people as a mother comforts her child, Isaiah 66. See, scripture does not shy away from the attributes that men are made in the image of God and women are made in the image of God and God created and what we normally assign as more normal toward one or the other, that's all right, it flips all the time. We, we all know that there are some who are more tender on the male side and there are some who are maybe more leadership on the female side, that's okay because God created humanity almost as if God said one alone isn't going to properly reflect but all of humanity the reflection is far more complete in the image of God image of God I love that imago Dei in the image of deity and he did it on purpose so what, why am I taken out of this why did I well I, listen I get it but I want to share three truths I wrote them down in the notes because I, I figure by this time people are maybe glazing over a little bit, but I want to say it with you. Gender is assigned by God, not us. Gender is a, is, 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 is a beautiful image of who God is. And gender is not subjective. That means it is not ruled by our emotions. God determines this. And I get it. I get it that sometimes we, we feel weird and we feel like we're not who we're supposed to be, but understand that God designed us for who we are. And if you diminish God and you diminish his role and you diminish creation, of course, we start to question this whole thing of gender. And of course, we start to question the value of humanity. What we're doing is we're diminishing who God is. Is there any wonder the enemy attacks these things? If he can attack these things, he attacks the creator. Number three. The third thing that we notice in this passage is that God beautifully designed and wonderfully created us for relationship. Now see what he says in this passage, and we see that God brings in this whole thing of marriage, but I want to use relationship in the general, marriage in the specific. It says... Um, it says in verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Oh, by the way, work is not a result of the fall of man. It's not sin. Before sin ever takes place, before the fall of man, now the, 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 you're gonna notice this when we take a look at it next week, the labor or the laboriousness of labor, that is a result of sin. The curse of the ground, that's a result of sin. Even the sweat of the brow, it's, it's a result of sin. But work's not a bad thing. Work's a beautiful thing that God gave us. We have a sense of significance. We have a sense of, of fulfillment in doing things. It's okay. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is the first time that when God looks at creation, 
He says, not good. Everything else was good. Everything else he created was good. John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, some of you remember that from your education, famous book, by the way, but he said, loneliness is the first thing that God's eye saw and it wasn't good. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I don't like the NIV translation because the word is help and then the word is actually M-E-E-T, meet, helpmate. It's a very specific word and it means so much more than helper. Because when I think of helper, I think of, hey, help me, you know, come along, just be my little helper. No, 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 help me. You know what the word means? Oh, I wish I had somebody up here to help me with this. If you have a board that is seven feet tall and you take another board that is seven feet tall, that board will not stand on its own, will it? So you lean them against each other and they'll stand up. Are you with me so far? That's what the word helpmate means. It means one who stands against opposite up. The way God designed this whole thing of relationship by myself can't stand together stand up support that's how God designed it why? because God did not design us to do life in a vacuum to do life alone now marriage becomes the beautiful beautiful image that God gives us and by the way God created marriage for a specific purpose it was actually to help us see a divine reality made in heaven it, it, there's a reason for it but in general relationship is created why because God created us for relationship look what he says further down verse uh, 20 but for Adam no suitable helpmate was found so the Lord God caused the man to fall into sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and he closed up the place. The word rib is the word side. He took from his side and he closed the place up with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the side he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And now in your Bibles, if you're looking at your Bible, do you see, is your Bible indented right here? Any of you? Look in your Bible. <laughs> it should be indented. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my Is it indented a little bit? Okay, it is. Go get a Bible. Take a look. The reason it's indented, in other words, it's, you see it's, it's uh, down the ledge, and then when you get into that, it goes like this. The reason for it is that in the Hebrew... In the Old Testament, every time you see that, it means it was written as a poem or it was written as a song. Literally, the first time man speaks about woman, he is singing a song. Ario Speedwagon had it right. Come on, that was kind of funny. <laughs> And the man said, wow, 
That's my paraphrase. Wow. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman. For she was taken from man. It is not a derogatory statement. It is an elevation of her place. Moses says that when Adam saw Eve, he rejoiced in her beauty, in her incredible gift to him. And it says, it's for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And if you don't know anything else about husband-wife relationship, it says, and the man and the woman were both naked and felt no shame. If there's anything God designed relationship in marriage to be, it's to be no shame. There's a whole seminar on those verses. Why is this important? Because God beautifully and incredibly designed you. You are valuable. You are lovable. He, on purpose, gave us gender to reflect his attributes. He gave us relationship because he designed us for others. Sometimes it's a marriage relationship. Sometimes it's a friendship. It even says he takes the lonely and he sets them in families. Why? Because God cares that you have relationship. And you might be here this morning and saying, Pastor, I see that, but I feel so broken. Welcome to humanity. We're broken. All of us are broken. The design is perfect, we're broken, but please understand this, it's not hopeless because Paul says in Colossians chapter one and then again in chapter three, it says that he has, through the cross of Jesus Christ, he is redeeming you into the knowledge and the image of God. God isn't rescuing us just so that we can have our sins forgiven and and spend eternity with him, although that's incredible and that would be enough. He's actually redeeming us. Building us in our character, our emotions, our relationships. He's rescuing us into the image he always wanted for us. No matter what the enemy says to you or accuses you of, God loves you. He's paid a price for you. He understands you better than you understand yourself. You are not a mistake. You are his image. And he calls you above all creation to himself today. Father, your word is so rich and it isn't for simply postulating it your word is intended for us to see you and your love and your character and I imagine there are some right now so defeated and discouraged feeling worthless and there's no hope for them in life and that is absolutely the lie of the enemy he loves to whisper in our ears God you have given us the image of how you see us. We grab on to your image. We grab on to you. Make us who you want us 
and have always intended us to be. Make our marriages and our relationships, even in who I am as a unique individual, use me and reflect your glory in my life. I pray that in Jesus' name.